0: Howdy, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Meet Your Herdmates Sodcast. Today, I am so pleased to be joined by one of the original sod sisters, Amy Berger, uh, all the way from the other side of the country. Amy, welcome.
1: Thank you, good to see you. Happy happy to be uh, with the sod father today.
0: It's, it's my pleasure. So Amy has 15 years experience eating in a way that some people haven't recognized as a viable option for humans to eat. That's interesting. And she's not doing this without some degree of training and information. Your title is Certified Nutrition Specialist, CNS. Specialist. Yeah. CNS. And that required uh, a degree, a de- degree which, in your case, was a graduate degree. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So the CNS credential is on par with the RD, with the registered dietitian. It's a different type of education, but the CNS you have to have a master's degree, and um, just like for the RD, you have to have supervised hours and pass a board exam.
0: Okay. I just I need a cheat sheet to know what all the acronyms stand for. So I want to make sure I get it right. Um so so this woman's got skills here, people. This is not just, you know, somebody who, who read a couple blogs and and now no, I'm just kidding. Um well, I do that too, but <laughs> you, you well, you write a blog. So com, Yes. Yes. And that's also where you can find her on Twitter. So how you know, climbing into the Wayback Machine to 15 years ago, what was it? How, how did you find this? What was it in your own experience that said, yeah, I think I want to try that?
1: Right. So of course, for people watching and listening, when Peter said I eat in a kind of different way than a lot of people eat, I follow a low carb diet. And sometimes it's a ketogenic diet, which is a very, very low carb diet. Sometimes it's just low carb but uh, I was a chubby kid. My parents owned an ice cream store. I was literally a kid in a candy store and it took its toll. And, you know, as I got older though, I became a little more concerned about my appearance as any woman growing up in the eighties and nineties did. And, um, I- Followed, you know, what I thought was a healthy diet. I exercised. I was no stranger to working out, um, eating my healthy whole grain cereal with my skim milk and my margarine on my whole grain bread. And the weight would not budge. And I didn't have any health problems. I was just carrying extra weight. But I have a family history of type two diabetes, obesity, stroke and cancer. So we are all stocked up in the family. And um, after working so hard for so long and just really beating myself up and blaming myself for for not losing weight, I actually stumbled upon the Atkins diet. My mother, this, we're talking long enough ago. She got a copy at a yard sale when people still had yard sales, <laughs> and um, she never read it, but I did, and it made sense to me. And I said, I'll I'll try this. You know, I've tried everything else and nothing more. I might as well. And lo and behold, it worked and it worked. And not only did it work, I got to eat really delicious food. I got to eat cheese and bacon and, and steak and, and vegetables. I still eat. I, I probably eat more vegetables now than I did before because instead of eating pasta and bread and rice and potatoes, what what else is on my plate besides chicken and meat? And you know, It's going to be these vegetables. And over the years, I was so fascinated, you know, why does this work? I'm doing the opposite of what I'm quote unquote supposed to do. What, why is this working? How is it working? So I kind of was self-taught just reading some of the sciences as much as I could understand it. And I was in and out of jobs that I just was not satisfied by, did not find fulfilling. And it occurred to me, hey, nu- nutritionist is a career. Like, I, I could do that, and I could help other people learn about this really cool way of eating. So that's what I did. I went back to school to get um, the formal training in nutrition, and now that's what I do. I help other people, and I, I write, and um, I... In my evolution of learning about this way of eating and the, the biology and the chemistry of, of how it works, I really feel at this point that weight loss is one of the least impressive things that this diet can do. I mean, for those, those that are new, this is going to sound crazy, but it's absolutely true. You can reverse type 2 diabetes. You can reverse PCOS. Um, it's good for men with the enlarged prostate gland, the BPH acne, migraines, hypoglycemia, non-alcoholic fatty liver. I mean, the list goes on and on. Oh, and you also might lose a few pounds along the way. So that's um, the long version of my story.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, and there's a lot there just to go back to. But this, so this started 15 years ago. At some point, you pursued the certified nutritional specialist <laughs> so, specialist thank you glitch yeah tell me about brain health and memory we'll we'll need that later um but did so when did that come in your journey relative to the start and you you have a degree in creative writing as well right did,
1: yeah
0: how does yeah. that so, slot into this
1: it's actually I'm glad you're asking because a lot of people that want to change their diet, whether it's to a low carb diet or anything else, it doesn't stick the first time. You kind of have to try it a couple of you try and fail, you try and fail and one day it sticks. And that was true for me. I was not one of these people who all of us, you know, I was born and raised in New York, I was eating a bagel the size of my head every single day. <laughs> you know, um, And it, I didn't change my diet overnight. So I I tried it many times. When I first learned about it, I was actually in college. So it's it's more than 15 years ago. And I did it for a little bit. And I just wasn't emotionally prepared to make it my life at that point or to make it my permanent way of eating. But I knew that it worked. And it was a few years later that I kind of came back to it and stuck with it for, for the full time. That was around 2003 or 2004. Um, I, I'm, I'm an Air Force veteran, and I was trying to get into the military. This was after I was in school. It's kind of a long story, but I was too heavy. I was above the maximum weight to be allowed to enlist, mm. and I didn't know what to do. I was, I, I, I needed to get the weight off, and I needed it to happen quickly. So I said, okay, that that low carb. I know that thing works. So what I'm going to do, and I don't recommend this to anyone listening. I basically stopped eating. I stopped eating. And when I got so hungry that I needed to eat, I knew I just needed to eat something with no carbs. So I'm not kidding you when I tell you I lived on Oscar Mayer bologna. I lived on the little processed cheese singles, but it worked. And I was in the military. And basically ever since then, I've been on some version of a low carb diet. Again, not always very, very strict, but always limiting my carbohydrate intake to some extent, and I didn't go back to school for this until 2000, when was it, 2010, so I got my, my master's in 2012 for this, and Mm -hmm. so then I've been, I've been doing, I've been working as a professional since about 2013.
0: And, and currently you are working with individuals these days remotely,
1: yeah, and I mean, even before the shutdown, I was doing. Most people find me online anyway. They find me through my blog or through Twitter or something. Um, I am right now in Durham, North Carolina. So for the rare person that does live near me, we can we can meet up in person. Okay.
0: Okay. So um, you mentioned uh, PCOS. What does that stand for, please?
1: So that's polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it's the number one. Cause of infertility in the industrialized world, and it's basically um, if if women out there are dealing with it, it's uh, irregular menses or or anovulation. They tend to there's um growth of facial hair. Uh, it tends to come along with with being overweight, but not always. Not every woman that has this is is heavy. Um, acne trying to think of, because it, 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 there's a lot of other hormonal changes that happen. One of them is that these women tend to have elevated testosterone. So they take on some male characteristics like the facial hair, um, sometimes a hoarse voice, the, the, the sort of oilier skin. Um, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's horrible because it's actually fairly simple to reverse that with a diet. I mean, the main, I have I have a blog post on it, maybe we can link to that or something, but the, the main cause of that condition is chronically high insulin. And in fact, I mean, there's a lot of women with PCOS who know that it might be a blood sugar issue because doctors prescribe metformin for it. Metformin is a diabetes drug.
0: Okay. Okay. So this most common form of infertility, there's certainly people should be aware that there's a possible diet slash lifestyle intervention. There's obviously people undergoing a lot of expense and trouble trying to treat it in other ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, not that, not that those other ways don't work, but why not get your body into? Why not correct the hormonal imbalance that's preventing the conception? You know, because then, if you're going to do it artificially, and I it, no judgment. However, a woman wants to go about this is her business. But what what might be the potential consequences for that baby if it's conceived in a body that maybe wasn't in the proper hormonal position to to, to conceive? So I, I think it's better, you know, to whatever extent you can correct them, because if you have that imbalance, then what else might you end up with? Gestational diabetes, some exactly. other metabolic problem that's going to affect that fetus, that's going to affect the baby that could potentially affect it long-term.
0: Yeah, uh, uh,
1: There's a lot of in, consequences there potentially.
0: In livestock, we are looking at something that's called fetal imprinting um, and certainly how for example, the mama cow is fed in the last portion of that pregnancy is going to affect how that offspring produces. So yeah. somehow we can do things in animal science that we can't do in human medicine and, and, and. Human or or that we
1: don't think we're so we, we, we forget that humans are animals and things wait that a minute,
0: we, wait a minute. Are you sure animals. about that? We, we really. We
1: Forget like, Oh, maybe that, maybe that has something we could learn from.
0: <laughs> right. You radical you. Um, so, you know,
1: some, some of us are more animalistic than others, but.
0: <laughs> we're not casting any aspersions looking at you, Sean Baker. Um, um, okay. So, um, now, I was just watching an interview that you did with Brett Schur and w- So forgive me if this is something that we've already touched on, but when you said that especially young women, unfortunately become unhealthily focused on an unhealthy body image, um, and and get over concerned uh, about their appearance I think all humans in this society do to a certain extent but certainly I believe that that's true for especially young women we tend to look at this as something to lose weight and yet I think there have been some relatively recent studies that show this dramatic metabolic transformation that can happen in the absence of weight loss. And these things can happen very early, even though we go on to lose weight. So there's this, um, feedback loop of, of positive reinforcement and.
1: Yeah, I, it's so, it's such an important thing for people to understand because when Something like type 2 diabetes and obesity go hand in hand so often, they actually say, they coined the phrase diabesity, except type two diabetes happens in thin people too. Hypertension happens in thin people. Gout happens and all of these other issues happen in people all across the weight spectrum. Mm -hmm. So how can we say that the solution is to lose weight? Well, if you have diabetes, you need to lose weight. If you have heart disease, you need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. What if you're already at a quote unquote normal weight, which you you could do a whole podcast just on that phrase, (laughs) normal weight. But you know, there has to be a better solution because if somebody's not overweight, the answer to their medical problem can't be lose weight. So you're absolutely right that the metabolic changes that happen inside when you make this pretty big shift in your diet happen so quickly because the weight isn't the cause. If the weight were, were the cause, we wouldn't see any of these improvements until someone had already lost 20, 30, or a hundred pounds. We see them immediately. Like uh, those listening there, you know, a lot of medical doctors use these this low carb way of eating in their practice. For some of their patients that take insulin for type 2 diabetes, they have to either stop the patient's insulin or reduce the dose on literally the first day of the diet because that's how quickly blood sugar starts to come down when you stop eating foods to jack up your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So um, it's definitely these, these things happen, happen sooner. And I think it's a, it's a really important message for people to understand that if they do have some of these issues, they don't need to blame themselves, like, oh well, if I if I wasn't so heavy, I wouldn't have diabetes. Or if I wasn't, if I could just lose weight, then I wouldn't have this problem. No. The weight is actually one more symptom of the internal dysfunction that's driving all of the issues. Mm-hmm. So gout, gout might be your symptom. High blood pressure could be a symptom. Excess weight is also a symptom.
0: And that's why it's really important to be working with your healthcare team, especially if you're on these medications because they need to be adjusted while you're undergoing this kind of change because otherwise you may end up in a a health emergency. and, yeah. If, and if we, you're
1: not on medication, you can pretty much fly solo, but if you are sp- really insulin is the biggie, and then some of the blood pressure medications, you just kind of want to make sure your doctor knows what you're doing.
0: And monitoring the yeah. positive results, which might end up training the doctor some more about what can happen. So that's not a bad thing. Um, so, Okay. Um, So this excess body weight or excess body fat, maybe more specifically, is part of a spectrum of metabolic derangement. You use the word hyperinsulinemia. Okay. So maybe we should talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a, like a, what do they call it? A five-star word or an SAT word or something. So um, built into that, bigger word is the word insulin. And I'm sure most people have heard of insulin. It's it's a hormone. And most people think of it as a blood sugar hormone, because if, if anyone has ever heard of insulin, they've heard it in the context of somebody with diabetes injecting insulin to help control their blood sugar. Except what people really need to know is that that is only one of many, many other jobs insulin has. One of which, the, the biggest, well, maybe not the biggest, but a big one of which is inhibiting the burning of fat. If, If your insulin level is high most of the time, you are not going to be able to burn a lot of fat. So whether that means you have a really hard time losing body fat or you have sugar cravings all the time because because your body is unable to burn a lot of fat, you are dependent on burning carbohydrate. So you're dependent on these like constant little infusions of carbs. You're snacking all day. Um, and, and insulin does a whole lot more. I mean, we said about PCOS. When in, it's funny. It tends to have opposite effects in men and women. In women, you know, there's hormones never do just one thing. It's like a spider web. You touch it and the whole thing moves. So in women, it tends to increase testosterone. In men, it tends to decrease testosterone Mm. and raise estrogen. So in men, we see men like growing in large breasts. We see them becoming more more effeminate, even their shape, they can start accumulating fat around their hip area. Um, And it's, I guess, to take a step back too, this high insulin this hyperinsulinemia which just means your insulin level in your blood is high it is a major major factor in so many health issues and most people don't know because doctors just don't routinely test insulin when you go to a checkup it's standard to get your blood sugar checked and then if your blood sugar is normal the doctor says well you're fine you don't have diabetes see you next time except for so many people, the blood sugar is normal because really high insulin is keeping it in check. And so even when the blood sugar is normal, the high insulin wreaks all kinds of havoc around all different parts of the body.
0: Mm -hmm. So, okay, Um, something that we need, we have to have enough of it. Um, But if we have too much of it for too long, then we start seeing these other conditions that you mentioned. And I think it's good to just kinda run through just a a brief list, if we can, of things that are plausibly associated with hyperinsulinemia, just to give people a sense of the breadth of this issue.
1: Yeah. And, I, and you're right. I mean, to be clear, I don't want to scare people. Insulin is a hormone. The body makes it for a reason. We just don't want too much of it too often. Same thing, same thing like water and oxygen. Too much water, too much oxygen can kill you, but we definitely need some. Um, so with the high insulin, for sure. Ty- and again, this is whether or not your blood sugar is high. Of course, in type two diabetes, it is high. So there's type two diabetes, uh, fatty liver, um, gout, migraines, hypertension, uh, for many people, it's skin tags, Mm -hmm. um, the enlarged prostate, the benign prostate hypertrophy, uh, oh, there's so many more, why can't I, some people with, did I say migraines, Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to talk a little more about, believe it or not, Alzheimer's disease, Mm -hmm. brain fog, um,
0: we There's some very limited loss. with
1: fat sorry?
0: Vision loss. Um Yeah, maybe... well, I mean,
1: I that I think that comes along with the diabetes is okay. the just damage to the eyes. Uh kidney, kidney mm-hmm. dysfunction, um, and of course obesity. Obesity and overweight. High insulin yeah. just makes it really easy to gain weight and really hard to lose it.
0: And uh, tinnitus. Tinnitus. Yeah,
1: actually, there's some um, interesting research about tinnitus or tinnitus. Some people, <laughs> we debate the way it's said, um, vertigo, Meniere's disease. So these are another five-star word. They're called cochleovestibular vestibular disorders, just disorders yes. of inner ear and balance.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that stuff, um, very, very interesting interesting but limited for now um research on things like parkinson's and multiple sclerosis so like neurodegenerative mm. conditions mm. this 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 thing just touches everything
0: yeah i i think the quote i got from uh, ben bickman was that um virtually every chronic disease is at least made worse by insulin resistance, hyperinsulinemia. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in some cases, the insulin is the outright cause, but in some of these, I would totally agree. If it's not the cause, it's certainly not making it any better. It's probably mm-hmm. making it worse.
0: And, and again, what drives, what would lead, what would lead to chronically elevated levels of insulin in the blood. Now, it's not just diet, but let's start there.
1: Yeah. So there's there's actually a lot of debate over what causes this. Um, for most people, the thing that raises insulin is dietary carbohydrate, because insulin primarily at first is responding to the blood sugar. So anything that raises the blood sugar is going to raise the insulin. So I would say the worst offenders, so to speak, are liquid sugars, things like sugar-sweetened soda, fruit juice, all these fruit smoothies that everyone thinks are so healthy. You're just putting this huge dump of sugar right into your body. You don't even have to chew it. That's going to enter your bloodstream extremely quickly. Um, and, And it seems, you know, because there are people, it's not all carbohydrate that does this, and it seems to be the Dr. Ted Naiman calls it, you know, well, he calls it the trifecta. There's a third factor, but carbs with a lot of fat together. So something like a donut, something like my beloved bagel with cream cheese that I ate every single day and couldn't understand why I wasn't losing weight, even though it was a whole grain bagel with margarine or, you know, okay, full fat cream cheese. But, um, it it basically, so it's, it's a long story. I will try to narrow it down. We each have a sort of personal, genetically determined threshold to store fat on our bodies, and we tend to store fat, you know, in our hips and our thighs and our arms and our tins and everywhere. Once these storage compartments are full, if we still have to store more fat, the body has nowhere else to put it but in and around our organs, like like the liver, the pancreas. When fat starts building up there. That is bad juju. And it takes more and more, because the body doesn't want to store fat there, it takes more and more insulin to force the body to do that. So I said insulin has many jobs. It helps control the blood sugar. It prevents fat burning. It helps fat storage. It basically puts things, takes things out of the bloodstream and shoves it anywhere it can. And so once, once the fat is starting to build up in this sort of abdominal area, the, that's one thing at least that I think contributes to this high insulin.
0: So carbohydrate can come in a couple forms. There's the carbohydrate that is in fiber, at least as labeled on products today. Um, And then there's the rest of the carbohydrate that isn't. So anything that's fibrous would be digestible in a human by varying degrees, depending on what it is. I mean, for the most part, it's not going to be digested. Is that a correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, for the most part, fiber is just going to pass through you. And um, depending on the food it's wrapped up in, it can slow the absorption of the other carbs so that it doesn't quite have the same effect on your blood sugar and insulin so that's why something like you know when we think of carbs we kind of automatically think of starch we think of bread and pasta and potatoes but broccoli is a carbohydrate lettuce is a carbohydrate it's just not starchy Mm -hmm. relatively speaking it's it's carbs but it's really really low in carbs so those are the kinds of carbohydrates that most people. There's exceptions, but most people can eat a generous amount of that and and really have no problems with it whatsoever. Um, blood sugar wise, some people have you know they don't digest it so well. They get very bloated. They get gas. But with regard to blood sugar and insulin, those are the the kinds of carbs that are pretty benign. And it's the other stuff that really does a number on people. And so of course you know, one of the worst things to do is set yourself up for that big blood sugar spike first thing in the morning with the bowl of cereal and the orange juice and the bran muffin and the grape jelly and all these things that we thought were good for us are setting us up to have this this sugar-burning metabolism all day.
0: Mm -hmm. So if we're not going to digest carbohydrate and absorb it, um, then the energy primarily is going to come from fat and it's interesting over the years, I've heard people mention this and I've thought of it. No doctor will say that it's a bad idea to lose fat for your health, which means that we're burning it. But if we eat fat and burn it, somehow that's completely different. It's Isn't that interesting?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's always fascinated me that, you know, doctors learn biochemistry i know they do they learn anatomy and physiology even in nutrition school i had to learn this stuff and yet you can because of the culture that we were all brought up in you can learn that and still come away with an entirely different interpretation of of what that means Hmm. and and in fact any biochemistry textbook will tell you insulin inhibits fat burning. It's like in plain English. And then we just completely forget that that's a thing.
0: (laughs) Well, one of my textbooks over there, I could find it, um, on the same page that it says that on the same page, it also says that obesity is the result of overeating or sedentary behavior.
1: Yeah.
0: And that's not true, right?
1: Well, and, and not just obesity, you know, we, we all have friends that, uh, were professional athletes that developed type 2 diabetes because Mm -hmm. of their diet. Now, never mind, even if they weren't overweight, they they weren't overweight, but they were eating so much carbohydrate to fuel that exercise that they still ended up with all these other metabolic problems. Okay.
0: All right. So um, I was joking earlier about my memory, um, but it's no laughing matter. Um, uh, Alzheimer's is one of the Top five or certainly top ten causes of death in the United States, and it's a it's a really painful process um, for the family members to care for a loved one who progressively loses awareness of who they are and who anyone else is um, and so you mentioned type three diabetes, and I've mentioned that to people who look at me as if. I'm even stranger than I'll admit to being. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that, if you could?
1: Right. So yeah, they, they regularly refer to Alzheimer's disease now as type 3 diabetes or diabetes of the brain. And uh, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, I, I don't know the statistic off the top of my head of the where it falls and causes of death, but um, it is the number one most feared disease. People fear it even more than cancer, because at least with cancer, the treatments are terrible, but they work sometimes. There are cancer survivors. There are no Alzheimer's survivors, right? Um, or, or, Or there's a doctor that's working to make that not be true anymore. He's developing some protocols where he would like to say this will be the first generation where we have Alzheimer's survivors. But in the meantime, there's nothing that's really effective for these people. And the reason they call it type three diabetes is that the main malfunction in the brain of somebody with this disease is that the brain is not able to use glucose for fuel. And glucose comes from a lot of different things. The main thing is dietary carbohydrate. And so if your brain has become unable to burn this fuel, it's basically starving to death. So I, I tell people it's an energy shortage in the brain. You know, if your, ener- if your brain is starving and it doesn't have any energy, of course, you're going to be forgetful. Of course, you're going to have personality changes.
0: Well, so, but we're told that the brain needs 200 grams of glucose a day. So how do you line up those two things?
1: Yeah, we, we often hear that the brain requires a certain amount of glucose. And it's, uh, there's two ways to look at that. The brain does require some glucose. I mean, as much as On low carb and ketogenic diets, we know the body can run on other fuels. To my knowledge, it's never been shown that we are able to have zero glucose. I mean, there's a reason our blood sugar never goes to zero. So what what a very low carb diet can do is at least, when, when when you don't eat a lot of carbohydrate, your body has to get fuel from somewhere else it's going to burn fat. And in the process of burning fat, it's going to generate these things called ketones that are another kind of fuel the body can use. The brain loves ketones. So if the brain is using some ketones for its energy, then it needs less glucose. It doesn't need the full amount that we're normally told it needs. And even if it does, even if it does need that amount, we can make that amount in internally. I I always say the body is like the ultimate recycle and reuse machine. It's really good at converting stuff into other stuff and, um, it can create its own glucose from a lot of other things. So even if, I mean, think about fasting, right? Fasting is all the rage now, but look at even hundreds or thousands of years ago, people would fast for religious reasons. If the brain needed glucose every day, then the body must have some way of providing it even when you're not eating anything or these or fasting for a day would kill you it doesn't people fast for weeks at a time and so whatever the whatever amount of glucose the body requires we can either get it without eating glucose without eating carbs or by making up some of that fuel from something else we don't need quite as much of the glucose
0: you yeah, mentioned ketones a couple times and aren't those dangerous isn't there some problem that people get concerned about there
1: yeah so if that key ketogenic and ketosis they're very loaded words because if you are familiar with diabetes especially type 1 diabetes There is a situation called ketoacidosis that is absolutely, it's dangerous. It can be life-threatening. They call it acidosis because when ketone molecules build up to really, really high levels, they are acidic. And they overwhelm the body's normal acid buffering system. Your blood starts to become acidic. That is definitely a situation we don't want. But when you're on a really, really low-carb diet where your body is just making a little bit of ketones, in, in, a, in a person that does not have diabetes, all of the feedback loops and control systems work properly, so that the ketone level never gets anywhere near that dangerous level. The blood, the, the acid system works perfectly, and there's no issues. And so, um, ketones are just—they're just not—they're just not, not dangerous under the proper circumstance. In, in fact, not only are they not dangerous, they can be life-saving.
0: Okay, and and we, if we think about the environment that a human being would have experienced 20, 30,000 years ago, um, or further back, um, there would not be the ready sources of starch, uh, even you know the ancestor of the potato looked n- nothing like what it looks like today. Sugar wouldn't have been available except maybe if they found a honey tree. Um, those sorts of differences, we must have been running on fat as fuel and therefore been producing ketones, and our systems must have evolved under that kind of a situation as opposed to the environment that we have today with this one could argue alternate fuel source this ready carbohydrate
1: yeah i mean you know out on the tundra when you're trying to spear that mammoth or whatever the situation may have been um you couldn't you couldn't make your blueberry and chia and pineapple smoothie. You just couldn't do it. Never mind that there was no electricity. You know, there was no blueberries and pineapples and chia seeds. So what are you going to do? You have to eat a fatty piece of meat and there's no potato to go along with it as a side dish. There's no cheesecake to have for dessert. And there's... um. There's a researcher uh, named Sam Henderson who's active in the Alzheimer's world. And I'm going to butcher the quote because I haven't seen it in a while, but he wrote one of my favorite lines on this. He said something like ketones would have served as a valuable metabolic fuel in times of food scarcity throughout human evolution. And I would say not just during times of food scarcity, but during times of starch and carbohydrate scarcity. And he said, hence, the modern diet can be considered keto deficient. Mm,
0: nice.
1: Ketones, are they're not new to the human body. They're not weird. They are an absolutely normal part of human physiology. It's just something that our modern diet is so different than, than the diet in which these ketones are normally produced that we... It's rare. It's rare to be in ketosis unless you're actively trying to do it, but it wasn't rare way back then. It's, if that's the normal, a healthy body. Some people may be familiar with the term metabolic flexibility. A healthy body is able to switch seamlessly between being fueled primarily by sugar and starch and carbs and primarily by fats. It's just whatever's coming in, you burn and you have energy and you feel well and it's great. When you lose that flexibility is when you start to run into the problems. But this I mean, running on fat and producing ketones is absolutely, it's, it's built into the human cake, so to speak. It's, it's part of, it's just an absolutely normal part of human physiology.
0: Okay. Um, so your book, The Alzheimer's Antidote uh, contains so much information. And I encourage people to pick that book up if they're not familiar with it and we'll put um, links in the show notes, but um, surely they're working on drugs for Alzheimer's.
1: Um, they are. And surely every single one of those drugs has been a colossal failure. Um, there, are, there are drugs for Alzheimer's. Um, many of them do nothing at best they very mildly slow the progression. They do nothing to stop the progression, and they certainly don't reverse the damage. What they can do is make the damage get worse more slowly. And the thing is, I mean, I don't know how quickly we want to get into this this particular matter, but talking about all those ketones, the reason that ketones are so important, especially for the brain, is that we mentioned that the the primary issue in the Alzheimer's brain is that it's not able to get fuel from glucose anymore. What has been shown over and over, not just in rats and mice, in Petri dishes and stuff, but in actual human beings with Alzheimer's disease and with its precursor mild cognitive impairment, is that even though the brain is not really using glucose that well, it takes up and uses ketones and cognitive function tends to be better when people are able to have those ketones. Now it's not hundred percent, this is by no means a magical cure, but if the problem is that the brain is starving for fuel, at the very least, these ketones can provide a little bit of that fuel for the brain. And in my opinion, that is the most promising, most encouraging thing about the whole situation. And um, so yeah, there, there, are, there are drugs, But the drugs are doing nothing to attack the underlying disease process. I mean, here's the thing. Let's let's take a step back. We we said earlier that, you know, the chronically high insulin, and, and you said Ben Bickman said there's no chronic disease that this doesn't make worse. Nothing. And I would agree there's no part of the body that isn't affected. Like, look at somebody with diabetes. They get problems with their eyes, the kidneys, the blood vessels, the feet, the, everything, right? The, the number one cause of death in type 2 diabetics is cardiovascular disease. So everything is, why do we think the brain is spared? Why do we think that the brain is immune to all of these other assaults happening in the rest of the body? It is not immune. If anything, it is the most susceptible. One of of the things that people report pretty quickly when they go on a low-carb or ketogenic diet is that brain fog goes away. And brain fog is not Alzheimer's disease, but it's like a super, super, super mild form of maybe the brain not having quite enough energy.
0: And I think Georgia Ede, Dr. Ede, has said something along the lines of science has conclusively proven that the brain is part of the body. Um, (laughs) So... So the fact that things might be, you know, connected in that way shouldn't be a surprise. I think that it's also fair to say that whatever sort of lifestyle effect we might see, your chances are improved the earlier in the progression. I hate to use that word here, but it the earlier in the course you intervene, the better the results, I guess. And that's no different than anything else. Uh, Yeah,
1: well, that's a critical point, because with Alzheimer's disease, people think of this as like an old people disease, like, oh, grandma's getting senile, grandpa's losing his mind. They can measure this as the brain starts to lose the ability to burn that glucose, that is measurable with a PET scan in people as young as their 30s and 40s. This disease process starts decades before you start to show the symptoms of and I tell people the memory loss, the cognitive decline, the behavioral changes, those are the symptoms. That's not the disease. The disease is that your brain is starving to death. <laughs> That's, right. I mean, I don't mean to laugh. That's the disease. By the time you start by the first time you start showing the memory loss, that disease process has been going on for a long time. So this is something we have to be concerned about in much younger years.
0: And, uh, and that's I think not to
1: terrify people, it's, it's, it's more yeah. of a wake up call.
0: Just, well, you know, I, I would say hopeful, right? Uh, um, because right now for most people to hear that diagnosis means sort of this inevitable course and maybe, maybe not, but, um, the, the other similarity that I'm thinking of is that, and you mentioned it earlier, um, if all, if, if we're relying on fasting glucose or elevated, you know, hemoglobin A1C levels to diagnose diabetes, we may be a decade too late. If we had looked at insulin, we could have seen it and avoided damage. So it's a similar thing there. Um, I think that, okay, maybe that's enough information for somebody else to go, oh, okay, these things sound too familiar, there's a family history, Um, whatever, I've been, you know, trying to lose weight and haven't been able to, or I've been trying before, but people talk me out of it. So we've given them enough information to say, make a change, or um, you're not going to kill yourself by doing this. what are some practical sorts of, you know, how to get started because you didn't, you weren't here 15 years ago, right? you've, You've evolved over a period of time. And what's the best way to increase somebody's chance of success by making it simple at the beginning?
1: Right. Well, um, I will put in a teeny tiny plug. I have a new book coming out. It's called End Your Carb Confusion, co-written with uh, Eric Westman, MD.
0: Who? who?
1: Oh, oh you, you never heard of that <laughs> Westman clown? <laughs> so Dr. Westman, for those who don't know, is just really active in the, the keto research and the low-carb research. He, for over 20 years, he's been you know, publishing clinical trials. Anyway, yeah, when I was new to this, it was so long ago that Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Reddit and Instagram didn't even exist. Like I mentioned, there was the Atkins book, there was a book called protein power, and there was like one forum, like an old school message board online. And it's so great that this way of eating has become so popular and there's so much information now, but there's also a lot of misinformation and a lot of confusing and conflicting information. And so I this is doable on any budget with any cooking skill. If, if you live for the Food Network and you have every gadget and you want to cook a gourmet meal every night, great. If you want to go through the drive-thru and get a burger patty without the bun or the grilled chicken patty without the bun, that's great too. The number one most, what makes this way of eating work, what makes all those changes happen is the absence of the carbs in your diet. However you choose to do that, if you have the budget to go to your local farm stand and get all pasture raised meats and organic this and that, do it. I absolutely support that kind of agriculture. If that's not in the budget, go to the discount chain, get the big old five pound tube of ground beef. That's great, too. And um, really what what makes this work. Is the absence of the carbs. All the other stuff is gravy, and um, you know, without not thickened with flour gravy. But <laughs> you'll hear all kinds of stuff online that makes this way complicated. And you, you, you can make this as complicated as you want it to be, or you can keep it as simple as you want to be. You can crack open a can of sardines and cut up a cucumber, and there's lunch.
0: <laughs> and you can crack eggs into a pan with butter and scramble them up. Um, yeah. You can throw some other meat in with those. Um,
1: if, if, you, if you keep kosher, despite what you see online, you don't have to eat bacon. If you don't <laughs> like avocado, you don't have to eat If If you're allergic to coconut, like it's entirely customizable. Uh, you, you even can do it as a vegetarian. Like as, as long as you're getting enough eggs and dairy, if you're vegan, it's much, much more difficult. And I don't recommend it. You can do it. I don't recommend it, but this is entirely customizable. Like whatever food you like, you can have it as long as it's low in carbs.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, this, these are the the readily digestible carbohydrates. So people don't necessarily need to fear kale or, um, you know, although I really am not a fan of kale, except as no, a forage I fear crop. fear kale
1: just because it's gross.
0: <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I, I like it. As, I like it as a forage crop. It's great. I mean, it the works. The cows, cows
1: can have it all they want.
0: Yes. And then I, we can have the steak afterwards. So that's great. Um, so Am I the
1: first nutritionist ever to have said the kale is gross? (laughs) Um, There
0: is that. There is that.
1: I love collard greens. I love, I live in North Carolina, so we've got some really good barbecue joints here that do the collards. I just, kale, not so much.
0: There's the meme about cooking your kale with bacon grease because it helps it slide out of the pan when you throw it away. (laughs) Um,
1: Helps it get into the trash quicker.
0: (laughs) So, we've, let's, let's talk about um, fruit Um, as, you know, uh, what, what sorts of fruits would fit or not fit in general?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question because, you know, for people that are new to this, it, it's very different from what we're used to hearing as a healthy diet. When we say no fruit, no beans, no whole grains, um, and it's, it's not that those foods are bad for you. Those, I mean, millions of people, billions of people around the world eat those foods and they're healthy, they're lean. It just depends if, if you have a metabolic illness, if you're living with obesity, you cannot eat the same things somebody can eat who's already healthy, that doesn't have those problems. So anyway, it's, it's weird for people to hear that. Well, no, for, you need to avoid fruit, at least for now fruit is just sugar. It's nature's candy. And like you said before, today's fruit is it's been cultivated and bred to be much, much sweeter than it ever was. That doesn't mean you can't ever have it. You can have small Everybody's carbohydrate tolerance varies. And we actually talk about that in our book, how to find your threshold. So um, the lowest sugar fruits are going to be the berries, the things like raspberries, strawberries, blackberries. um, And uh, what was I going to say? Fruit is fruit does not affect blood sugar quite as much as some other you know forms of carbs and, and starchy foods do, but they have a, a different impact on insulin and the liver. So hmm. fruit is not really quite as benign as we've been told. Um, and it depends, if you want to get nitpicky, the botanical fruits, things that we normally consider vegetables that are technically fruits, like bell peppers and zucchini, things with the seeds on the inside, tomatoes, those are technically fruits, those are fine to eat on low carb. Um, the, uh, we just, we tend to think of the vegetables that grow above the ground are going to be lower in carbs than things that grow underground that are starchy roots, like potatoes and parsnips and beets and rutabaga and whatever uh, the rutabaga is kind of low but yeah fruit fruit is radishes,
0: very sweet. radishes. Also,
1: there are exceptions because radishes are actually very very low in carbs and onions and shallots are kind of they're they're permitted you just can't have a ton of them
0: and, and some people may find over time that individuals even though they would fit from a carb perspective maybe they can't deal with them for digestive reasons or sensitivity. So people need to know that they should pay attention to what's happening. And sometimes people get really restrictive to figure out what they can't have, but that's a different thing from the general.
1: Yeah, that's the digestive stuff is separate from the effects on the blood sugar and insulin. But I I will point out, you know, we're so used to hearing fruits and vegetables, fruits and vegetables. We say them together as if they're the same thing. They are not. A bowl of grapes or a giant apple or a giant banana or some dried mango is very different metabolically on your blood sugar and insulin than cauliflower and eggplant and spinach. I hate that phrase, fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And we are told that fruit is so healthy and so important. Just everybody keep in mind, there's nothing that you get from fruit that you can't get from something lower in sugar. Like there's, whether you're talking about vitamin C or fiber or potassium. And if you ever, you know, you'll have certain guests on I'm sure that will argue that we don't even, some of that we don't need at all. But mm-hmm. if we believe that we do need some vitamin C and we need some of these other nutrients, you can get all of that from the the non-starchy vegetables. So you can get all the same nutrients without this massive effect on your blood sugar and insulin.
0: And it's just worth Touching base on the perils of dried fruit.
1: Yeah, d- dried fruit is just more concentrated in sugar because it's it's just nothing. It's, you don't even have the water to, I don't know what, <laughs> slow things down or. But but again, you know, it's not that dried fruit is poison. If you, if you're one of these master cyclists and you're biking a hundred miles and you want to have a handful of dried apricot because it's going to give you that quick boost, great. What you don't want to do, I'm going to steal a line from one of my favorite nutrition people. Her name is Diane Sanfilippo. She says, don't carb load for your desk job, (laughs) right? If you're a marathoner, great, have a piece of bread. If you are sitting in front of your computer in your cubicle all day, maybe that's not the best time to have that trail mix with with all the dried cranberries and apricots and stuff in it.
0: Or the the driver's seat of your truck or in (laughs) the cab of your tractor or... Um, yeah, exactly right. Um, okay, so you also have a book about stalls now. We're not talking about where we put animals to keep them. What, what are you talking about there?
1: Uh, talking about fat loss stalls, because so many people do use low-carb or ketogenic diets for fat loss, and, and very often it works really well at the beginning, and then they kind of hit a roadblock or a stall.
0: Okay, and so your, your, your book about the stall slayer, um, what sorts of things have you found can lead to, I mean, I, I experienced the, you know, at first it's easy and then it kinda isn't. And what, what sorts of things in your experience have been the most common problems for people after initial success?
1: Right. Well, um, people can check the book out at stallslayer.com or it is on Amazon. I'm sure you'll put a link. Um, you it's, it's normal actually for the diet to work quickly and powerfully at first. And then it slows down. Like that's, that is a known thing. Slowing down is different than stopping, right? Cause slow fat loss is still fat loss. If it's just not moving, the two most common things are the two that should be the most obvious, but we just don't we just kind of gloss over them. Some people are just eating a lot more carbohydrate than they realize. Over time, they just get complacent. Oh, I'll just have a piece of that. I'll have a bite of that. And some people can get away with that, but some people, in order to really keep that fat burning moving, they have to be really strict. And then the other thing, I hate to say this because I don't even like saying it for myself. There is such a thing as eating too much fat. If you're trying to lose body fat, if you because you know, on, on keto or low carb, finally it's a way of eating where I'm allowed to have bacon and I'm allowed to have butter. And I I am a coffee junkie, and I remember the when I was brand new to this, the first time I put heavy cream in my coffee instead of skim milk. And it was so thick and rich. And I just thought, like, am I gonna feel my arteries clogging? How is this? Am I gonna have a heart attack immediately? Is it gonna take a week? So we celebrate that finally we can eat fatty foods on this diet, but it's not unlimited. If you want to burn body fat, you can't just supply an endless amount of macadamia nuts and almond butter and coconut oil because your body's gonna use all that. So I hate the C word, but at some point, I like the E word, energy rather than calories, energy. Mm -hmm. If you're giving your body so much energy from your food, it doesn't need to tap into your stored energy those are the two biggest things. And then I'm a huge passionate proponent for proper thyroid testing and treatment. There's a whole chapter on thyroid, because if your thyroid hormones are out of whack, no matter what you do with diet and exercise, you're going to have a really hard time losing body fat. And it's much more common in women than in men, but men, men can get it. It's just way more common in women.
0: So can you confirm that a handful of nuts is the amount you can physically hold in one hand. Is that right? Or is.
1: Well, I guess that's the definition of handful, right? Um, right. But <laughs> something like nuts are allowed on keto, but a lot of people are better off avoiding them because they're a trigger food, right? I, I call it hand to mouth syndrome. You sit down on the couch with the bag of almonds, you're meant to have a handful. Before you know it, three quarters of the bag is gone. And, and cheese is the same thing. It's very easy to overdo cheese. And it's just, these foods are allowed. They're just so easy to go overboard. And they're such concentrated sources of fat that you can eat a huge amount of them without realizing. Mm-hmm. You, you're meant to have a snack. And before you know it, you've had 1,200 calories worth of cheese. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, nuts. If if I tell my clients, if you are the rare person that can have an ounce or an, or even two ounces of nuts, put the package away and go on with your day. You can have nuts.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes.
1: And, not everyone and again,
0: can do that. No, I am not one of those people. Um, and again, this is an individualized approach for every person and situation. Um, and so I appreciate that perspective Um, but again this is whatever you can afford like we're not talking about creating financial strain and hardship on people it's learning to buy different foods now I understand in some situations it may be trickier because of um, of of snap and things like that but um, even there we should learn the sorts of things and then other people should be working at ways to change those systems. Um, But you you can buy canned meats at the supermarket and you can buy, as you said, the the store brand hamburger rather than the top of the line branded yeah, product and this, eggs on lost leader and those sorts of things.
1: Yes. And this is a huge sticking point for me because some people make this way of eating sound elitist and it has to be grass fed and it has to be this. My, my co-author, Dr. Westman, you know, works in a regular clinic with people that are on Medicaid, they may be indigent, Um, they have a fourth grade education. These people are not going to go to the fancy schmancy, hippy dippy co-op and spend $18 a pound for T-bone steaks. And we need an approach to this that's gonna work for everybody, regardless of the budget, regardless of the accessibility. So um, yeah, the number, again, what what makes this effective is a very low carb intake. It, the fact the food doesn't have to it, it it doesn't work because the food is organic or it's free range or this or that. It works because we're making a biochemical shift in the body, and that shift happens when the carbs are really low.
0: And and I've used an analogy of this is the short stave in the barrel. This is this is the thing that will produce eighty percent of the improvement this thing. Wow. And and once we do that, then maybe some other things come can be noticed and measured and rectified. But until you deal with this problem, <clears throat> I have a hard time understanding from my training and background how you could measure um, the effect of some of these other interventions if you've got hyperinsulinemia functioning. Um, wow. So um, I'm really... Oh, go ahead. No, please. I
1: I just want to say that um, if you know, I I think you're you're trying to reach a broader audience than what we call our little low-carb bubble. So, for people listening that are new or watching that are new, um, you'd be surprised. I know it's it's sounds like a radical diet because it's just so different from what you might be used to doing it was radical for me i mean i i used to live on cereal cereal granola pretzels i mean oh my god
0: um, cheerios
1: yeah or just like any i never met a cereal i didn't like even the the high fiber boring cereals the, the more the merrier but you will be amazed at how not difficult this is. You might have to white knuckle it for a couple of days. You'll be amazed. Once you eliminate that stuff from your diet, for most people, not everybody, but most people, the cravings actually go away. And your the way that this thing changes your metabolism, your appetite is going to be much more well-regulated. You are going to have less hunger. You're going to have much less need to snack between meals. And it's something that you really can't believe it until you experience it. And the thing is, if you keep that cycle going, we tell people in the book, you don't appease a craving, like, like, oh, you're craving cake. Well, just, just get it out of your system. Just have the cake. No, you don't, that doesn't satisfy the beast and make it go away. That makes it hungry for more. You have to starve the beast. And then when it realizes, oh, I'm never going to get fed, then it goes away. But anyway, yeah, it's I believe me, I know this sounds like a very radical, like I, I could never give up my fruit or my bread, but you will. It's it is Dr. Westman's patients tell him that it's it's easier than they thought it would be.
0: And kidney dialysis is hard. And
1: yeah, yeah. Um, um Using a foot is hard, you know, what's, what's hard? Would you rather eat a ribeye steak and some roasted broccoli or be hooked up to a machine three times a week,
0: you know? Tough choice, let me weigh that one out. Um, And and not to be flippant because it's a tremendous burden on far too many people. I think the figure is something like every day in the United States, 200 people have some part of their body cut off because of diabetes. And every 30 seconds, someone in the world loses a lower leg due to diabetes.
1: Well, well think about, think about these numbers and look what's going on with COVID now. And everyone, the, the vaccine, the vaccine, they're mobilizing the entire country to find a vaccine. Never mind that millions of people die from these metabolic diseases every year. Where's the fire there? Yeah. We're just letting the house burn and we're watching it happen.
0: And, and, and it's not just in the affluent West, the high income countries, it's globally and imagine the burden on people in low income countries that, so um, that's something that we could talk about another day. And I hope we get the chance. Um, I hope we get a chance to do it. Um, soon in person because in
1: person, yeah.
0: I, I, I miss seeing the herd mates in person and, and listening to presentations and um, but I'm I'm very 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 grateful for all you're doing. Again, tuittnutrition.com is your website, um, and to is your nutrition is your uh, Twitter handle, correct?
1: Yeah. And that's also the name of my YouTube channel. And just, we we've hit this weird little hiccup with my website. If you put to at nutrition.com, you're going to get an error. You literally have to put nutrition. but people, they'll search, it'll come up easily enough. They'll find
0: it. Or look for Amy Berger. Maybe, yeah. you know, she, she does have a name. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, um, thank you so much for taking the time and for sharing your information and um yeah, good health to you. And until the next time.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.